patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to part two of episode 116. If you haven't already, check out part one first before you listen to this part of the episode with our conversation with Dr. Michael Green of UNLV. Let's get right back in our conversation to talk about President Lincoln and his legacy on leadership in America. We're obviously going to be very excited to see what comes up. And I guess kind of transitioning a bit back into this is our the final section of our interview, uh, just to go back to one of the key players uh, back uh, when we were discussing the Nevada entering in 1864. And, Michael, what's very interesting about your, your work is that you also – not only have done a lot of work in the field of gambling history, but you've also done a lot of research and a lot of writing on President Lincoln, who I always thought is like the founding father of Nevada. I mean, you know, West Virginia, you know, was a, became a state during his time as president, but but I feel like because it came out of art, we came out of a territory and out of such an unknown you know, unknown space. Uh, West Virginia obviously broke off, broke off from the state of Virginia. If I want to. Give Lincoln credit. You know, I won't. I won't be against yeah. that. So. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to cut in on West Virginia's action right. here. Exactly. So you've you've written your three uh, three books about Lincoln and the Civil War, and it's just uh, I I can't wait to go go but more in depth into them. Uh, but what what can you tell us about uh, the significance of Lincoln um, in Nevada history, and maybe just some of the of uh, the leadership lessons you've gotten from your research and and a preview of your books too, um, and how how that really applies to uh, to our understanding of Lincoln and the the presidency. Oh, I appreciate the chance to talk about it. I talked a bit about some of this, so I'll try to go in a slightly different direction in talking about this. It was not Lincoln who said politics is the art of the possible. And I believe it was Gandhi who said, I must catch up with my people because I am their leader. And that's something worth considering in Lincoln's case. Tell the ways to approach this. Uh, Historians now and then do a survey of who were the greatest presidents. And one year they were so desperate, they actually included me. And that year they were doing like, I don't know, a few hundred historians. Often it's much more limited. And usually Lincoln runs the table. He's the one they say was the greatest president. Yet he is incredibly controversial. There are many scholars who have argued that he was in fact a white supremacist and that ending slavery was part of an effort to preserve the union, not really to end slavery and not to help black people. There are libertarians who complain with some justification that Lincoln is the father of big government. Uh, I could actually make a real case for you about Alexander Hamilton, or was it Lin-Manuel Miranda? But Lincoln, during the Civil War, presides over and encourages this enormous expansion of the federal government to fight this war. 
So he's in, of incredible significance in so many ways. And the Civil War, uh, there's a major scholar of the Civil War, definitely not me, who referred to the Civil War as the central event in the American historical consciousness. And I think that's worth bearing in mind. Things tend in our history, when we look back at it, to flow toward it or away from it. And so we kind of use that as the basis. And who is the central political and governmental figure in all that? Obviously, Lincoln. So when we talk about a leadership lesson, I am a an admirer of Doris Kearns Goodwin, who wrote a fascinating book called Team of Rivals about Lincoln bringing into the cabinet the people who ran against him for president in the Republican Party in 1860. And people tended to see this as Lincoln gathering around him people who disagreed with him. And while there were disagreements, I think, about the means to the end, they were in general agreement about the end. And the end was to stop the spread of slavery. Some of them felt very strongly one way on the economy, others very strongly the other way. And so there is that disagreement. But again, are they working toward a prosperous economy and during the war ways to fund the war? Yes. The lesson in certain ways is tied to Las Vegas and organized crime and the idea that you keep your friends close and your enemies closer. I will tie it to another major political figure who's also controversial and was crucial to a war that, unlike the Civil War, was not necessarily leading to some good results in terms of the Civil War emancipation, Lyndon Johnson, who was asked once about keeping J. Edgar Hoover as director of the FBI, and there's someone who had an influence on Las Vegas. And I will paraphrase Johnson, where he said, I'd rather have him on the inside urinating out than on the outside urinating in. (laughs) And there's a leadership lesson in that, in all of that. And I think it speaks to self-confidence. I like to joke to students that Lincoln was very proud of how humble he was. He was humble in a lot of ways, but he also had confidence that he could handle these people. And we have seen some of that with some other leaders in our history, for good and for ill. So I think a valuable leadership lesson in Lincoln's case is that he was willing to surround himself with some high-powered people. And he believed he could work with them. And I would rather have really good people around me in every way imaginable. There there was a, uh, and this ties back to Lincoln in a certain way, Uh, There was a great journalist at the New York Times, James Reston, who built this incredible Washington bureau of great correspondence. And he pointed to another bureau chief and he said, that guy hires people he doesn't think are as good as he is because he thinks it makes him look good. I hire people who are better than I am because it makes me look better. And that's a good lesson. Don't be afraid of people who are better than you are. 
And Lincoln would occasionally sort of wave his hand and say, oh, well, Seward runs the State Department. He knows that stuff better than I do. Except now and then when Seward would go in a direction Lincoln didn't want, he'd sort of pull on the tether and uh, Seward came back to ground zero, if you will. So, yeah, there's a lesson in that. And you mentioned West Virginia. Lincoln asked the six people in his cabinet to write opinions on whether West Virginia should become a state. They split. He cast the tie-breaking vote. And there are reasons to believe legally West Virginia could not have become a state. There are reasons to believe legally it could have. And Lincoln went in that direction. So Lincoln understood, as many of us do, that there are laws and we should follow them. But there are times we have to look for the loophole. And boy, if that doesn't sound like Las Vegas and Nevada, I don't know what does. Look for the loophole. That's us. <laughs> the challenges that a leader faces by the, 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 the point you made about finding people who are better at you at certain things. I feel like in a lot of ways we've lost that in a way. We find people who just want to agree with us. We find people who just want to tell us how good we are. We we like to find ideals that are that we 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 like to claim that they're you know ideals that we we need to pursue society. And there's a lot of truth to, to that, perhaps. But there are times when individuals don't try to try to get to those values. They they like to tout them and say, "I'm this" or "I'm this." But I I've, I'm just really excited to learn more about. You know Lincoln, and and really, I think because of the extraordinary circumstances that he was in, when seeing a country that was losing states, and you know, he was able to add a couple states to that, obviously, uh, which is which is nice, and and ultimately bring back the ones who left, though not happily. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> they were happy to come back. Exactly. Well, Sherman, I'll, I'll pass this along for whatever value it has in this regard. The most recent book I have published on Lincoln is called Lincoln and Native Americans. And this is not something that has been excessively studied when so much of Lincoln has been studied. There are books and articles and so on. And I begin with a kind of trivia question. The president who ordered the largest mass execution in American history was Abraham Lincoln, 38 Dakota Sioux in 1862. Which president ordered the largest mass commutation of death sentences? Same person, same issue. A military tribunal sentenced 303 to die. He commuted all but 38. Two years go by. He's been reelected. And he was talking with a politician from Minnesota where the Dakota Sioux had been executed. And Lincoln said, I noticed my majority there in 1864 wasn't what it was in 1860. And the Minnesotan replied, well, if you'd executed all of them, you would have gotten a bigger majority. And Lincoln replied, I could not afford to hang men for votes. Now, you can get into relations involving Native Americans at the time and the issues surrounding that. 
But let's ponder for a moment that the easy way out actually would have been to execute all of them. As horrible as we find that to be today. As wrong as it was, frankly, to execute any of them. And it's a reminder that you can learn a lot from the past. You need to learn a lot from the past. But at the same time, we change. It's usually for the better, although we regress at times too. And that's important history to know as well. So you can find lessons from Lincoln, but then at the same time, if you said to, and Joe Biden's the president as we talk. We could pick any president if we were talking at that time. Do what Lincoln did. Well, it's not that simple. It wasn't simple for him. That's that's a key lesson, I think, is just knowing how to reflect on history. And, and I, I think this is just a good tie-in, I think, with the reflection uh, section. Amazing, amazing conversation, Mike, about just all the... Well, I, I've enjoyed it. Thank you. You love it when history is a roller coaster. It's like it's like the, uh, it's like like the a fun roller coaster, the ups and the downs and the twists and turns that you didn't see. Um, that I, think, I feel like that's what, what makes history so unique, too, is like any good story is not going to be a straight line. It's got to have ups and downs. Of, when it comes to really reflecting on you know the leadership lessons from lincoln about the the ability to uh, to adapt to different circumstances of las vegas you know with uh, from gambling as the big part of its economy to now a more diversified entertainment industry uh, even just some of the days way back at those times of discussing about individualism and that ability to relate to others uh, when it comes to tying in so values of washington's farewell address and some of the ones that I found have been patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, and civility. Which one or which ones do you think most apply to our conversation today and and what people can do to to live out those values in this day and age? Well, well, Lincoln had a line in this regard, talking about the fight against the spread of slavery. And it's the line was something like this. Stand with any man that stands right and part with him when he goes wrong. Now a word about that. I worked at a newspaper many moons ago <laughs> when dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> and that was our motto uh, by the name of the paper. Our publisher put it there, and our publisher was indicted for helping to skim money for the mob. And he pled guilty because he had. And he used the money he got to keep the paper alive and kick back the rest. And there were people who joked about this. Well, are we standing with them? Well, yeah, people will make mistakes. They will do bad things, wrong things. And the question becomes, are they doing it because they are desperate? And if so, why are they desperate? Are they doing it because they are just bad? Lincoln used to talk about this, where he said, if I lived in the South, 
I would be the way they are. I would be doing what they're doing. And he had a talent that I try to emulate and fail, because it's a very difficult talent to have, which is to put himself in the position of the people he was against and try to understand them. I think we gain some value in life when we do that. Now, I have political opinions, and I work very hard to separate them from the classroom in the sense that I am not in there to campaign for somebody or anything like that. And I'm going to give you an example of myself in the classroom talking about someone I disagree with on almost everything imaginable and have done so publicly. And that is Donald Trump. When Donald Trump made a reference to Frederick Douglass that made it sound as if he had just discovered Frederick Douglass and he thought Douglass was alive. And by the way, Douglass died in 1895. And I brought this up in class, and I'll joke a bit and say I could tell which of my students were conservative or uh, devout Trump supporters because I could see several people tense up. And I said, now, I am not here to be critical of his politics. But why did he make this ignorant statement? And the ignorance comes from this. I am almost two decades younger. And when I was a kid, we had what was called Negro History Week. Today it is Black History Month. And scholars will argue, and I agree with them, African-American history is American history. American history is African-American history. Uh, There are areas you study to specialize, but we should bring it all together. And I said, when I was a kid, what we pretty much got was George Washington Carver found 300 things to do with a peanut. That's pretty much what I remember from second grade. And we got more later, and I had a wonderful high school history teacher and a wonderful high school government teacher, and I learned a lot more. But that's where we start. I said, imagine what it was like 20 years before for little Donald Trump in an elementary school classroom to learn about what was going on. The world was very different. Now, I can be critical of him, and I am, for not learning more since. But that's not uncommon. And I think we should try to understand those things and be critical in the right way. There's room to be critical, but to be critical in the right way. I don't always succeed at this, nor do most of us. (laughs) So I don't feel lonely in that regard. It's so important, as you brought up, Mike, the importance of, I think, the, the, the thing that you said about recognizing that we're all human beings. You know, we don't always succeed in everything we want to do. And I think that honesty and that authenticity is what we need to, to really elevate nowadays. Seems like, you know, it seems like in an age of 
<clears throat> of superficiality, I guess, for lack of a better term, you know, was social media or, you know, now AI technology. There's, I mean, there's benefits and all that, but I think within that, as we talked a little bit about Nevada history, you know, it's important to recognize those fundamental elements, I think, of human connection. Bringing those values together, I think the way you've done, uh, is key to, I think, advancing conversations about about sensitive issues, but also I think just to cultivate that environment of always always trying better, always always trying to do better. But I think you need some element of trust with between people in order to to do so. Well, I I appreciate that, but I I also have to say that I have said, and a friend of mine said this really doesn't work, but I think it does. The Facebook me and the academic me. And I will sometimes, well, I always begin a class with a, going over the syllabus and talking about various rules and regulations. And I'll say at one point, by the way, we're going to treat each other respectfully. This is not the internet. And people tend to think, oh, the internet caused all these problems. No, the internet just gave us the room for them to expand and be more noticeable. And we all have values of some kind. Some are not very good. And some live up to them better than others, and I'm not going to pretend that I have lived up to them at all times. But I also think we try. We need to try. And I think that's certainly true of Mr. Lincoln. Uh, we don't always succeed. But we try our best, and we 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 think about those values, we think about that history. And I think, Mike, you have done an amazing job of, of taking a lot of history, over 150 years of history, which is not easy to do <laughs> on, on any in any stretch of the imagination. But I've, I really want to thank you so much for uh, giving us this like Nevada politics or history 101 that I think I think could complement really any experience for for tourists because uh, I think all the things you've discussed today about the the history of gaming all that I think that is just such a it's it's such a good compliment something so different uh, but I've I hope that I hope that the the uh, the Las Vegas Convention Visitors Authority considers considers your uh, your your talks your podcasts or your books whatever is be part of part of the experience I mean it's part of the it should be part of the Vegas experience I feel like. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I've had the pleasure of either belonging to or being involved with some great local museums, the Mob Museum mainly, but also the County Museum, the Neon Museum, the Atomic Testing Museum. There are all of these places you can learn more about the state's history, the State Museum and Spring Preserve, local history, elements of the history that extends into uh, the rest of the world, and then what I like to say about a documentary or something, whether it's PBS or Netflix or whatever, is, oh, they can't do everything. So maybe it'll make you pick up a book. <laughs> I hope it does. Absolutely. And I will be sure to link the links to your books down in the show notes below for the audience to check out. You know, thank you so much for also bring bringing a lot of this to the classroom too, because bringing, I think, this to younger people as well to... To, to get to get to know things that they probably I'm sure a lot of the students probably would think probably never thought I would learn about this kind of stuff but it's 
but it's amazing. <laughs> well, I appreciate all of that. And thank you for all you're doing, uh, because what you're doing is bringing a lot of great information, not necessarily for me, uh, to a wider audience. And it's great that you're doing that. That'll wrap up our conversation with Dr. Michael Green. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Check out the links down in the show notes below to check out and purchase Dr. Green's books on Nevada, Las Vegas, and President Lincoln. Enjoy the rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.